This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets, where, Chris, I've been raving about this for some weeks now, and I'm still raving about it, the Poke Bar at Burnside. It is awesome. Have you had it yet? I have not had the Poke Bar at Burnside. Yeah, it's right there mixed with, they got, the, they got their great salad bar, they got their soups, which are always good, and now they have this Poke Bar. It's perfect for me on my drive home from work. Every day, stop by Zupan's, make myself a little poke bowl. Are you getting awesome. it for everybody, or is it just yourself? Um, the kids have a few hours until they get home from school, so no, it's so just it's for, all it's gone. Just for me. It's all gone, <laughs> but it's so good. Have you have you bought it so that you were attending it for your whole family and it didn't last? That's uh, no, I'm no, no, I haven't done that. But <laughs> right. uh, five different types of uh, poke seafood salads, three different types of rice and toppings. You can create your own poke bowl. It's only right now at their Burnside location. So keep that in I, mind. That's why I haven't had it because yeah. macadam is my store right. of choice. But expanding soon in 2017. Right, to the other stores in uh, in Lake Grove mm-hmm. as well. Also, Court, have you had a Z cookie? Yes, I, I have, actually. I was at the uh, Lake Oswego location with my daughter Sloan, and as a treat on our way out, like, hey, look at those. Yeah, you know, the thing about Zupans is I'm in there now, and I'm mindful of uh, wanting to post a little thing on Instagram on their behalf yeah. because they're so kind as to sponsor this podcast. Yeah. There are so many beautiful things you can take pictures of and post so it's not hard to find uh one of them is that is that cookie which they make in-house as well it is so good they've got beer and wine tastings taking place every friday and saturday and here's the thing you can go to zupans.com their brand new beautiful website and you can see the calendar of events happening there so if the, the location is nearest you you can go check out some of these great beer and wine tastings on your weekends that's a good that's enter, that's entertainment mm-hmm. zupans.com This is Right at the Fork, Portland's food scene podcast with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. And I'm your host, uh, co-host, your hostess with the least most, Court Johnson. From, <laughs> I think you had the most hours ago. I don't think you have the most right now. Yeah, I've got I've got the least energy is what I've got going on right but now. But you got a good look going on. You got the kind of the Cuban looking hat. Got Right. Yeah, the, I call it my the, Fidel. It's the, my your, Fidel. Your, your Fidel. <laughs> And uh, it looks good. Yeah, th- thank you. No, it's it, I mainly I'm wearing hats these days, Chris, because I need a haircut desperately. I was t- I was out with a dear friend of mine the other night. Yeah, and she said you really need a haircut. Mm. I said, my problem is I'm in Portland on Sundays and Mondays, and that's it's when hard my to find. place is closed. Yeah. See, so, I'm I I on the other hand, we're trying to do some sort of video for the radio station, and I've got a there's got to be like five things come together to make it happen. And so here, three weeks later, I'm like still trying to get a haircut and can't do it quite yet. Yeah, well, One day, though, I will have my haircut. You did trim the beard, I, I noticed. I took a... Yeah, well, now that we're talking about yeah, it. I did trim the entire beard. I don't think you saw me right afterward. Oh, you started from scratch Oh, again? I almost... Well, I made that mistake where you adjust your uh, you adjust your thing, and but I just pushed too hard on my skin and it just went deep. So oh, I, that, I do Big that. old nick in there, and I was like, ah... Uh, right, I'm not going to describe short. my shaving to anybody. Right, but, so this uh, has been Shaving Talk with your host, <laughs> Chris and Court. Now, we're, uh, this is actually a treat this morning because I had a treat at his restaurant yeah. recently, XLB, uh-huh. up on North Williams, um, one of the newest Portland openings, and from a guy who um, 
gave us aviary yeah. along with uh, Sarah Pliner and his dear wife, Kat, mm-hmm. for a few years. Um, and that restaurant certainly had an interesting storied history in its, uh, I guess, six-year, six- or seven-year history. Going on seven. Six or seven, yeah. And um, their restaurant in the year, 2012, right after their fire. So they came back, and um, and three of them ran one of Portland's easily, it's it's not arguable to say, one of Portland's best restaurants. It's one of the restaurants that uh, comes up uh, almost the most frequent, not the, the most frequently, but it's right up there in terms of how when often it's referenced. we chefs, yes. Yeah, the, the, the place that they like to check out, and as you point out, place that's fairly underrated when people think about the best in Portland. Yeah, because it's it's generally on everybody's list yeah. or on chefs' industry lists. Those those people all appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So, um, But we're here to talk about XLB and what Jasper has evolved into and talk about how he got there, which is uh, very interesting to itself. He mentioned uh, where he worked in, in New York and Illinois, so we'll let that stand. Um, you can find his restaurant on North Williams, as I believe I mentioned, and I'm going to guess it's xlbpdx.com. No, that, you that, go online? that would make the most sense. Yeah, I think that makes the most sense. But uh, we, we originally had this podcast scheduled for last week. We had some problems. He's back this week. He's got a week under his belt, as opposed to just saying he just opened. Yeah. And um, Jasper Shen, who um, I've never had the opportunity, and I know you haven't either, to sit down and really chat with him you, for a you, while. You, you had seen him around. I actually met him for the first time when you and I got a preview of XLB a few months past at a at a uh, chef's, table. chef's table event. Right. And he and, and I met him briefly learned, there. And that was just about that was not long after he probably he met figured Kurt it out. and became a chef's table in the yeah. in the chef's stable stable. Yeah. Um and it was really good. And I I really enjoyed enjoyed it and um I think everyone will too. I had the occasion a few years ago, I don't remember I think they were looking for a bike for a family member, so Jasper and Kat came over to my house and got to know them, and and what I didn't talk about, we'll talk about when we have Cat on, mm-hmm. is she comes from the same area, or her she has family from where I came from, right so on the east know, coast. She knows mm-hmm. all my favorite little haunts in the New Haven area. Mm. So, um, so we'll talk about that. But anyway, Jasper Shen, XLB, here now. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Leanne Bach of M Realty. Choosing the right realtor can make or break the buying or selling experience in real estate. Leanne Bach is in tune with the ever-changing Portland landscape, especially as it pertains to our food and restaurant world. Why not work with someone who's in step with you and has years of experience to work on your behalf? Find Leanne at leannebach.com. L-E-A-N-N-E-B-A-C-H dot com. Zupans, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years, Zupans Markets. And by Portland Food Adventures. Did you know you can eat and drink your way through Europe with chefs like Atala's Jose Chesa and Lardo's Rick Gencarelli? Join right at the Fork host Chris Angelus and his great chef friends for these trips of a lifetime to Barcelona and Tuscany in September and October. Get to PortlandFoodAdventures.com and click on the blog tab to see pricing and itineraries. So, thanks for coming and thanks for putting up with we had a week of snow, and then we had technical problems in the studio. We had to cancel all our recordings last week. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, thanks, Jasper, for putting up with us, and now you're finally here. No, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. That's kind of neat. But yeah, the, first, first podcast is it really? Yeah. Oh, good. Um, we're glad to have you. We're on year four, so sorry we haven't had you up till now. No, it's fine. Yeah. And we want to have that should that should be your real attitude. Is just, why the hell haven't you had me on sooner? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He could say that. Yeah. But um, actually, it was a nice day today. In in our podcast history, we hit. Uh, ten thousand downloads. Wow! So that's a lot of that's a de- lot of downloads. It's cr- in a ten thousand downloads in a month. In yeah, a yeah, month, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so um, we started this thing doing a couple of thousand over a few years. We never thought ten thousand was an original goal, and we fi- once said we'll never hit it. It's not possible with a niche podcast in Portland, Oregon. And we just did this morning. Ten. Where when I walked in this morning, I think we were at ten thousand one seventeen or something. That's great. It's awesome. So yeah. so. The nice thing about you're not coming in for a while is <laughs> you're get more, more not as many people yeah, would have heard people, it. More people here. And the yeah. other nice thing about you're not being able to come in last week, and I don't know if we had planned the week before, but we had to cancel that too, um, is that you've now had a, uh, at least a week under your belt at XLB. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a crazy week. And so how has it been crazy? Has it been good? It's been good crazy, I would imagine, it's, right? It's, I hear nothing but good things. And oh, thank I, you. I'm one of the voices that has gone out there and praised my experience there. Yeah, you know, it's 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 been crazy. It's been good and bad. Uh, we were we've been pretty busy out of the gate, which is very fortuitous. Um, I honestly never thought we'd be this busy coming out. I thought we'd be have a nice a nice slow ramp up, um, but it's been jam packed from the minute we opened the doors to uh, generally till pretty close till we close. And, uh, it's, I think it's a double-edged sword. You know, we do, it's great. We have so much business, especially this time of year. Uh, there seems to be tons of interest about the food and what I'm doing and people are generally excited. Uh, but I'm sure like most Portland restaurants, like I'm a little understaffed. Uh, I wasn't expecting this big of a boom and it's, it's, it's been, you know, it's been challenging and the staff's been great. So we've just been like, all these guys have been doing doubles, have been working working their asses off every single day. Uh, anything I ask them to do, they'll do, come in early, stay late. Uh, so I appreciate that. It's, it's, but it's just been trying to stay alive, to tell you the truth. Um, and, you know, we've, there's like any opening restaurant, you always, there's always things to fix. There's always kinks you find um, when you're, when you're doing this and, we're trying to change as much as we can and fix as many of the issues we can, but it's it's always challenging when you're always so busy and you're just trying to get through the next service. Yeah, well, you have, I think you have the advantage of Kurt, right? Yeah, yeah. Who, who, who you can consult with and who's been in that space, you know, has had Lardo in that space earlier. Um, so when things come up, it's not just all on you. You haven't done fast casual before. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and... Kurt's been great. Like all of Chef's Table has been great. Like I was a little dubious about uh, joining up with these guys in the in the pat and before this, but just meeting with Kurt and talking to some of their team, like they've been they've been nothing but helpful. Like anything that we've needed, like they've done cash and carry runs for us. They've gone to the store for us. Uh, like the first like three or four days, there's just been someone there. If there's a problem with the micros, like whenever we had service, there was someone from that team there. And if the printer went down, they'd fix the printer. If if the tips were misadjusted. They would help with the tips. If they need, we need someone to expedite. They would expedite. You know, so they've been great. And uh, the nice thing is, the extra nice thing is that they really look at the numbers. Like right now, I'm not even. I have the 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 ability to not think of the numbers as so much. 
like they're going to think about the numbers and my main responsibility is to try to focus on the food make the food better and it's and keep the staff happy and, and do all these other things that are, are equally as important as the numbers but you just don't as a business owner it's, it's hard sometimes focusing on the stuff when you have to like figure out your inventory numbers your food cost numbers your labor numbers and all this other stuff and uh these guys are really great with that so well, it's not what you envisioned when you probably decided you like you loved cooking. I know you have a business. You had a business degree. Yeah, or you're yeah, going yeah. to school uh, for business, so you're back to it. But now, and and just to clarify, we're talking about Kurt Huffman at Chef's Table yeah, yes, because we can't presume that everybody knows when we just mentioned Kurt who that is. Yeah, I thought you were talking about Kurt Johnson, the guy that lives down the street from me. So uh, yeah, he's a partner too. So it's okay. <laughs> oh, he is okay. So hey, yeah, he's in it. Well, I haven't seen that, or him. I haven't seen Court Johnson expediting over there. So, but it would never, the food would never get to us. No, I was going to say that's something you don't want to have. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. but so you have a business background, and at Aviary, were you the num- Were you the business guy at, at Aviary? Uh, no, Sarah actually did most like. Did a lot of the numbers. She did a lot more of the inventory and stuff. Uh, I eventually moved into more of the front of house role, uh, and I did a lot of you know I was kind of the st- kind of the, the everything. And when it, when we needed to cook, I cooked. When I needed to be in the front of the house, I was in the front of the house. When I needed to do cash and carry runs, I did cash and carry runs. Like uh, you know, there I had the, the ability because Sarah was so amazing in the kitchen uh, that she did a lot of that, took a lot of that off, and whatever. I just kind of filled. The gaps in between. Was that the plan when you moved out here? No. I want to. I, I want to follow a couple of um, journeys today, if we can. One of them would be the journey from Aviary to XLB. I'm, I'm fascinated by how that happened, but also pretty quickly how you got from New York and work and and the three of you coming to Portland and how that came about, and then how you weathered the uh, the fire and all that stuff. I just I, I'm sure right now you've been focused on XLB for a long time, but no, no, no. It's it's it's, but, it's great to talk. Like, so if you want to go all the way back, so I was at uh, I was getting like you said, I was getting a business degree at University of Illinois, and uh, I kind of realized during like my junior senior year, I'm a terrible student. Like I'm an absolute. I, I I was one of those guys who just drank too much, never went to class. You know, I'd show up, get a syllabus. The test days are this day, this day, and this day. Wouldn't show up until the test day, you know, crammed some notes the night before and like pulled my C minus and just like kept on going with my life. Uh, Those are still my worst dreams, by the way, that I oh, show yeah, up yeah. That, that the exam is happening. I don't know where it is, right? I haven't gone to class all year. I know nothing about the subject matter and I'm in my underwear on top <laughs> of it. And I'm still dreaming about that. And I did okay in school. I wasn't a great student, but I wasn't a terrible student. Why? Why is that that and and we were never told somewhere along the way, hey, you know what? You might still be a great person, but you might not be a great student in, in general studies. This, right? Yeah, this but, is a I, I think it's a totally different discussion. Like I just when I was sorry, when uh when I was like 17, I wasn't ready to go to college. You know, like I had no idea what I was doing in my life. I had no idea what I wanted to study. But everybody was just like. You know, you have to go to college. If you don't go to college, you're some form of failure or something like that. Uh, and what kind of household, what kind of home did you grow up in? Was it a white collar home? Oh, it was very, it was, it was very blue collar. You know, my parents got divorced when I was pretty young. I haven't, like, my dad hasn't really been in my life for, for many, many years. My mom, to her credit, is amazing. Um, so my, so, I don't know how, 
far you want to go. But like, yeah, my parents separated. My dad kind of dropped out. My mom never worked a job before in her life. You know, uh, first thing she did, sold the house, got a job, you know, had two kids, me and my brother. Uh, and we went from, she was a stay at home mom to a full-time working mom. And what did she do? She got a job at a bank te- as a bank teller. She's been a bank teller for the past, whatever, 25, 30 years. Wow. You know, first job she ever had. Uh, and her main goal was just to get her kids, to get her kids through, you mm-hmm. know? And, um, like, I'm always amazed, uh, amazed about it, very thankful about it. And then we went from this, like, t- period when we were always, our mom was always home. She would always cook dinner. She would take care of the house to, like, we would always be, you know, we were at home a lot. You know, and that there's nothing bad about it. There's no negative about it. It was just, it was a very big change. And uh, she's been super supportive. And, but coming from an Asian background, or I feel like honestly, mostly immigrant backgrounds, or education is the key. You have to go to school, you have to get education, become a doctor, a lawyer, a, a get an office job, do, do whatever the thing, because that's how you become successful in life, you know? And then, so I was going to like back to what I was saying. So I was in college. I was uh, doing this business degree I had no desire to do because I had to choose something and I was doing it. And uh, I think in the summer of my junior year, I did some, I worked at my, my uncle's Chinese restaurants a little bit. Uh, and they, I went to a, a restaurant, a, uh, a chain now called Maggiano's Little Italy, which is all over the place now. And I asked for a server job. And they're like, we don't have a server job, but you can, we have a prep job if you want to come in and just nice and chop some onions and do some, some prep. And I'm like, sure, I'll do that. And I was terrible. Like I, I like I helped my mom cook, but I've never really cooked before in my life. And I, I did not hold a knife. I didn't know where anything was. I didn't know the terms or anything. Like I would come in, I would cut a case, like dice a case of onions uh, every day and like, you know Cry like hell. Cry like hell. And like <laughs> eventually, like a week into it, the dishwasher just came up to me and he's just like, Stop. It was like this Latino dishwasher that just did wash it. He was like, you are terrible. And he t- like took my knife, showed me how to dice an onion. And he's like, there, do it like that. I'm tired of watching you. <laughs> and like, <laughs> so he like, he showed me how to do it. And eventually I got better and, until I did that for a couple months. And then one Saturday night, uh, one of the line cooks, uh, which is super common, just no called, no showed on a Saturday night. Didn't do it. Uh, weren't a lot of people around. They called a bunch of people. No one could come in. And they just came to me and they're like, hey, it's Saturday night. We need an extra guy on the line. Do you want to do it? And I'm like, uh, okay. I don't think I even understood what that meant, you know, back then. And uh, there's like, you're gonna stand here instead of in front of this pasta water and these pans, and you're gonna put the sauce in the pans. You're gonna put the pasta in the basket. When the po- when the timer goes off, take the pasta out of the basket, put it into the pan, mix it together, put it on a plate. This guy next to you knows how to work the station. He is also working a station. He'll try to keep an eye on you. And like, we got through it. And the next day, I went to the chef. I was like, hey, can I work on the line? And they're like, oh, okay, sure, we'll, we'll do that. And ever since, I, I started going to class less, and I started going to work more, and it's just like something that I, I really enjoy doing, you know? So that's kind of how I started. That's like the point where I decided to start cooking, and then uh, at the point where I, I told my mom that I was going to try to cook full-time, she she was not super happy about it. It's taken her a while to like get idea the idea behind it and oh, I th- so you're saying that she's just now coming to grips with it? no Is she that- came to grip with it a while ago <laughs> but i still think in the back of her mind she just prefers that i get like a uh you know a a comfy country club kind of chef job that like gets a couple weeks off a year and like don't have to work so hard and uh that are, kind of are there are there a lot of those around here i don't know uh it's just uh maybe 
you know, and I think that's what she still wants for me. Or hopefully, I'll just give this up and go go find an office job somewhere. But uh, but my brother's a lawyer, so she has that, you know. Mm-hmm. So she has that to fall back on. Yeah. So she also has that to compare you to. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. But yeah. But yeah, so that's it's also that. But is that is that what your uh, birthday cards to him say every year? Christmas cards is thank you for being a lawyer. Thank you for being a lawyer. Take, <laughs> take some of the heat off of me. Yeah. Uh, but no, she's been nothing but supportive, and she was really, you know, she invested in Aviary and she invested in XLB, and okay, she's been good. like whatever whatever you need. And like, you know, she's my mom. She worries a lot. You and know, where is she still in Chicago? Maryland? No, she's in Chicago. She's okay. Yeah, and uh, she's coming out here for the first time in March. Ever? Uh, no, no. For uh, since the restaurant opened, oh, coming since out in XLB, March. Yeah. Uh, since XLB, and then uh, yeah, hopefully she thinks it's okay. You know. So this is is this all this effort the last few weeks all in your mind to please mom? Uh, that's a good goal. It's right? a good it's goal. A good way to go. It's, it's uh, you know I, I I try to please as much as I act like it. I try to please everybody. Like, um, I try to please mom. I try to please the customers. I try to please my cooks. Like I want my cooks to. Be proud of the food they're making. I want my mom to be proud of the food I'm making. I want the customers to actually like it and be happy to, to be eating the food. And I, I I wish I could say that we were doing that every single day, every single time we put something up. But that's it's, it's only a week. You got a long time to go. So how how was it that you got to Aviary, and how was it that oh. you d- defined your roles the way you did? Was it, so I think you said that wasn't necessarily the vision. Yeah. yeah. So so Aviary was. Uh, so I used to work with Sarah, one of my first restaurant jobs in New York, we worked at Aquavit together. I think it was like in 2003, something like that. And, uh, we got along pretty well and we kind of stayed in touch and it's just the nature of, I'm sure everyone who listens to this podcast kind of knows the nature of cooking and that you work for some place for a year or two years and then you move around year or two years. And so there's a, a time where you're really tight with people for a year or two because you see them all the time. You see them for 60 hours a day and then someone changes job or you changes jobs and you like, you see them occasionally and you kind of fall out and you'll run into them at a different restaurant a couple years down the line and it's cool. But, uh, Sarah's one of those people that we kind of, I just, you know, always kind of stayed in contact with. We hung out, we had lunch, we had dinner. Uh, so we were pretty close. And then, um, so we were at Aquavit. I left for John George. She left for Elaine Decasse and, you know, we still chat and, she, uh, whenever she had a job and needed help, I'd would, I would come help her out and stuff like that. And so we always kept in contact. And during those kind of off years, we I met Kat, who was with the other partner at Aviary, at a restaurant called Five Ninth, um, down in the Meatpacking District. In, uh, and we first met there, and then we eventually started dating, and we got married, and whatever. Uh, oh, and whatever. And whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's one of those kitchen romances that. Um, Everyone always tells you it was a terrible idea. Like I was the sous chef at the time. She was the she was the brand new garbage cook. Like her first job. Like I think yeah, technically it was her first job out of culinary school, and I was like the sous chef. And you know we kind of we 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 kind of started like flirting with each other. And then you know you, what you kind of do when you before you start dating and you kind of like start hanging out a lot. And the sous chef the the chef was just like the chef de cuisine was like I don't think it was a good idea. And the chef and the executive chef was like. I don't think you should be doing this. And like, uh, everybody was just like, I don't know. This is, this doesn't seem right, but we just kind of kept on doing it. And like, surprisingly, uh, we were still together after how many years? How um, many years is it now? Uh, we've been married, uh, close. Well, we've been married 
And we're going to be nine years this year. And then we were dating like two years before that. So okay. like 10, 10, 11 years. And we and, have a. And you have a child. We have a almost a two year old child. Now. Right. So it kind of worked out for us. Uh, so I was dating Kat at the time. And there was a point where I just was tired of living in New York. I was, I was, I moved to New York in like 2002. At this point it was close to 2000, I think nine or 10. And I was just really, you know, uh, it, I think New York is great when you're in your twenties and you're young and you just want to like go out and have fun. But when you're like in a relationship and you start thinking about your family and like, what are we going to do? What's the long-term goal here? It just wasn't really what I wanted anymore. And I popped around, like I've done a little bit of everything. Like I catered for Dan- Danny Myers catering company. Like I private chefed in the Hamptons for a summer. Like I went to the Caribbean. I was the chef of like this, this kind of cheesy sushi restaurant in the Caribbean for, for, a, for a season in the winter. And all I knew, I was like, I just wanted to get out of New York. I wanted to get out of New York. And I came back from the uh, Caribbean, and Kat was uh, a sous chef at a place called Freeman's in New York. And we were talking about getting out, and then just out of the blue, Sarah called. And it was just like, hey, how's it going? And I was talking to her, and she was working somewhere she was really unhappy with. And she's like, I want to go back to Portland. And I'm like, oh. And what was her experience here before She went to Reed. Oh, Yeah, so she uh, uh, grew up in New York, went to Reed. Uh, cooked around here for a while and then moved to New York to cook. And I think she was just fed up with New York too. And she's like, I want to move back to Portland. And she was just like, I want to move to Portland, but I just don't know if I, I want to open a restaurant by myself. And I was like, I'll do it. Let's go. Uh, and I talked to Kat and I'm like, hey, do you like Sarah? My friend Sarah wants to open this restaurant. Are you interested in leaving New York and going to Portland? And she was leaving family near there, right? Yeah. yeah. And, family in Connecticut. And honestly, I don't know how originally how hyped she was around the area. She, her family's in Jersey. Her family's in Connecticut. Like, she's really tight with her family. And she was just like, I guess if you want. I don't know if she really believed it would ever happen. Mm-hmm. And then uh, eventually, like, I think I twisted her arm enough that she kind of agreed to do it. And then... Because, like, before, and then Sarah moved here a couple months before to kind of get things started, and then a couple months afterwards, we moved out here. Before we moved out here, neither one of us had ever set a foot in Portland. Uh, Before we moved out here, Kat had never been farther west than the Mississippi, Mm. you know? And it was just, like, this this kind of insane kind of leap of faith that we made. And I think... Uh, so we, we, you know, we got a couple jobs just to kind of tie it over and just kept on pushing forward and pushing forward. And, and to Sarah, to her credit is, is amazing in the fact that she never gave up. Like there was points where I was just like, I don't know if this is going to happen. Like, you know, anyone who's ever tried to start their own business or restaurant or whatever, food cart, anything else, there's always points where you're like, I don't know if this is actually going to work. Like, what are we doing here? And Sarah's like, no, we are doing this. We are like, and she kept on pushing until. Did she have the space? That's no, no, point. we didn't have the space, and uh, we were looking at spaces. We had some money from friends and family. Uh, I think we, like, stupidly, uh, we there's an article in this New York Times that we read about Ned Ludd. It was, like, written many, many years ago about how Ned Ludd opened for, like, $40,000. I forget what the number is. Something, like, ridiculously low. Right, but it doesn't have a kitchen. I know, and I was like, <laughs> and we were like, oh, we can raise $40,000. If Ned Ludd can do it, then we can do it. And we got out here, we started looking around, and we were like, no way, this is only, like, we need way more than $40,000. This is never going to happen. But we eventually got some money together, and we were looking at spaces, and we kept on getting turned down at spaces because they were like, your food's too weird. You're, you don't have a, you're, you know, you don't have a Portland name behind you. You don't have all these things. And we got turned down a couple times until we got the landlord of the building where aviary is now was like, okay, 
Sure. Like I have the space. It's kind of I always wanted a restaurant in the space. That's how it was set up, and uh, he was very helpful in in getting that getting that whole thing set up. And that's kind of how that happened. And, right. and so, what was your what were you gonna? So do? yeah, our original idea was like we had these three chefs, and we were gonna be this like uber collaborative, like multifaceted like things that people would just bounce ideas off each other and like you know do all these different things and uh, and it sounded nice on paper but i think when we got into the reality of the business it wasn't it, it just didn't really make sense you know and like it started cre- creating more tension problems than it was really than it was than it was helping things so we kind of like kind of fell into these more defined roles so cat did mostly did the pastry stuff like um Sarah did a lot more of the food creation and then I was just, I was everything else. Like I, I did a lot more business stuff. I did a lot more of the front of house stuff, like cooked in the kitchens, helped with pastries, did like, you know, I just, I just did, did a little bit of everything. Were you happy to be doing that and round, yeah. round out your, your kitchen knowledge? Yeah, I was very happy uh, doing that. I'm the tender, kind of person who kind of gets bored doing something, the same thing for a couple of months. So I kind of like doing, like I like the idea of switching around. I like the idea of, being front of house, front of house is a totally new experience for a while. Um, just dealing with people, dealing with with happy customers, dealing with upset customers, dealing with you know front of house staff. Um, I just how did you feel about Portland after working the front of the house for a year or so? Oh uh, no, I, I actually I love Portland. Like I really do. Like I think Portlanders are are generally really care about food they generally are pretty knowledgeable about about the food that they want they're very passionate about it um and they're generally pretty friendly you know i think uh for the most part everyone's really nice like it coming from maybe new york where i don't think i don't think new york is mean in sense but there's just like a little more blunt you know in new york where and i, I, and I think like. there's more of a corporate factor so there's more of a hey, yeah, i yeah, need yeah. this I don't need I, I don't need the social aspect as much. Yeah, yeah. I just need to get in and eat and get out and I agree with and, you a lot there. Like it, it's it's very definitely about the social aspect. Like mm-hmm. they like the the social aspect of it. Um so yeah, so I think it's I think it's been fun. I think it's a good experience. And just like I always like learning new things, I always like doing new things, so that's that was a nice kind of thing there. You know, I don't know about you, Court, but I've gone through a number of real estate transactions in mm-hmm. my time, and I've had some great ones, and I've had some not-so-great ones. Right. And the key is picking the right realtor right off the bat. It all comes down to the realtor when, it, when you get down to it. Right. Especially in a hot market, and you, and you need to act fast, and you need to negotiate uh, from a strong position. Yeah. In, in, in a matter of days, if not half of a day, Chris, could mean thousands of dollars gained or lost. Right. And market knowledge as well. Mm-hmm. So we've known Leanne for a little while now. And I can tell you this, she's tuned into the food world. So I would say if there's anyone listening out there and they want someone who understands where they're coming from. And where they want to come from when they go to a restaurant, Leanne is the one to call. And that number would actually be 503-349-7890 or go online to leannebach.com. That's L-E-A-N-N-E-B-A-C-H.com. Do it. We love Leanne and, and she's here to support not only us, but our entire Portland food world. So, uh, Chris, I understand things going pretty well for these upcoming uh, trips to Europe in the fall. PFA International. Yeah. Tuscany with Chef Rick Gencarelli of Lardo and Grassa, if you're a fan of theirs and you know him at all, or if you don't know him. We're going to have a great time 
doing uh, foraging for truffles, eating incredible food, beer tasting, wine tasting in Tuscany. We also have seven days in Barcelona, our third trip that we've done with Chef Jose Chesa of Chesa, Atala, and 180. Go eat churros in Barcelona with Chef Jose. Yeah. And, uh, and we have some space there. Our Tuscany trip is almost full, and we have some space for Barcelona. So um, we welcome anybody to come along and contact me for more information. Yeah, and then you can go to uh, portlandfoodadventures.com. The uh, the blog tab will give you the itineraries and, and how to contact Chris. I'll and, just tell you right now. You yeah. can call 503-395-5900. Okay, that's one way. You also, do you have some events coming up as well? Portland? I do. Some local events? Thanks for asking, Court. You're, you're welcome. Uh, we're at Dame uh, in late February. You can look out. It's February 21st. Uh, doing a wine-centric event, which we've never done before. Uh, really focusing on natural wines. You can hear Dana Frank recently uh, in our archives on Right at the Fork. And then we're at Quaintrell, March 29th, with Chef Bill Wallander. And that's a beautiful restaurant, excellent food, and uh, one of the new places that we've talked about quite a few times on Right at the Fork with Gary the Glutton. So I'm going to guess that you're... Uh, propensity to not like to do the same thing for a long time and having a child probably were some of the factors that led you to, okay, what's, what's our next step here? And we got all three going to stay here as partners and what are we going to do? Yeah. Yeah. So Kat was first out, right? Kat was first out. She, uh, uh, she got to a point where she honestly just didn't like doing service anymore. You know, she wanted to, she's always been a morning person. She like, she's always been best as like a morning like kind of sous chef, like morning person, getting things set up. And I think that was the original intention for her to come in, do pastry, be there in the mornings and be off in the evenings. But it just like never ended up working out like that. And then she, we decided she wanted to, to explore some other stuff and she got lucky enough. So she works for salt and straw now. And, uh, because they, I don't know, it's just like one of those random connections, salt and straw. Um, Oh, they were a tight connection. They, they owe a lot to you. I, I don't know if they owe anything to us. Well, <laughs> like they, well put, put it this way. From my standpoint, the first time I ever had a taste of strawberry balsamic was when I walked out of your restaurant and said, oh, man, that looks so good, but I'm so full. And they had their cart outside. Yeah, yeah. for anybody who didn't know, like, yeah, they, yeah. our landlord came to us at one point and was just like, hey, there's this new ice cream company that's trying to open in Portland uh, that's going to go into another building that I'm part of. And they have this cart, and they were interested in being in, in this courtyard in front of your restaurant. And uh, and we were like, ice cream in Portland, like it rains here like nine months of the year. Who, right. Who's going to, who's gonna like, how is this going to make any money? And we're like, oh, okay, whatever. That sounds, whatever they want to do. And uh, yeah, and then it obviously I, went crazy. I thought you guys, I guess I assumed you were just buddies. So it's nice to hear how that happened. Yeah, yeah like I've known. It was a real estate transaction. It was a real estate transaction. <laughs> we didn't know, like we didn't know Kim, but like after... Kim came in and said hi and like actually gave us like as thanks, give us some like timbers tickets and stuff like that. And we kind of became friends and uh, Ken and I have dinner with uh, Kim and Mike and, and their kids and stuff like that. And uh, it, yeah, it was very fortuitous. So then when, when Kat wanted to leave Aviary, she started like putting some feelers out and like emailed Kim and the Kim's like, yeah, like we're definitely need, or looking for some help. And she went there and she and Tyler get along and they work really well together and, and she develops flavors correct? yeah so she's like her i forget what her, her direct title is it's like director of r&d 
for for Sultan's Straw. That's a pretty cool title in Portland, Oregon. Right? Yeah, it's a great title and and it's a great job. And like Sultan's Straw is a great company to work for. They're obviously growing uh, pretty quick, and Kim and Tyler are great people. So uh, it's it's pretty good. So what's her what's the favorite Sultan's Straw? Sultan's Straw. Sultan's Straw. That's that's thank you. That's, that's, that's their offshoot. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. That's their coleslaw bar. Yeah. yeah. So they're, Which sounds good. And by yeah. the way, that's not that wouldn't be uh, unusual for yeah, them yeah. to have a coleslaw flavor. <laughs> um, but is there one in particular that Cat has developed that is your favorite? Oh, my favorite by far is honestly kind of the one of the more boring flavors, Rocky Road. I mm-hmm. think their Rocky Road is is my favorite one of their ice creams by like a million miles. I love that flavor. It's like marshmallow fluff. Like really rich chocolate ice cream, and they do uh, candied hazelnuts, mm. uh, and a little bit. Of, and I think there's a little spice on the candied hazelnuts, and it only comes out in November, if I am correct. And I love it. It's like by far my favorite ice cream, and I put that on the calendar court November. Oh, yeah, November. I will. Uh, so just yeah, I just rolled around, but it's every November. Their, their Rocky Road ice cream is is. The best Rocky Road by far I've ever had, and it's one—it's my favorite one of their ice creams. Well, and that we we could compare that to Baskin Robbins. That would be an interesting comparison. Yeah. yeah. But you know, Cat, I was just floored the first few times I came into Aviary, and her desserts were. I, that those yeah. were some of the things that stuck in my mind the most. Um, yeah. And on to, on top of that, if you sat in the front there, you were talking to Cat a little bit, so there was that interaction. So. I believe that the dessert tastes better when you're having a little conversation about it too, but um, but good for her. So she was first out, and then at some point, did you were you thinking, I want to do something myself? Uh, I, I don't know. I just I just specific felt incident. There, there? Were, no, there was just nothing. Like it was just. I think it was like a little over four years at the time we've been doing this, and it was just like I kind of need to make a change, and uh, I didn't actually know what I was gonna do. And I was like, I kind of, you know, the the hours were, ironically, the hours were a lot. And, like, I just didn't really, um, it was hard to get, you know, to get motivated to go. And I think when you, it's hard to get motivated to go every day, then it's kind of, you have to look at it and be like. Especially when it's a hard, it's a hard yeah, hour every day. Yeah, it's not like you're just doing 40 hours to go. Did you tell like, Sarah, hey, listen, I'm, I'm at the point where. I want to do something else, um, and then you went from there. Or yeah, that's kind of what ha- what happened. We just sat down. And I was like, "Hey, I think it's I think I'm, I I kind of want to go." And you know, she, you know, obviously tried to get me to stay, and we talked about it. And it was just like, "No, I think I I just need to like move on." And so, and I tried my best to like make sure that things were in place uh, when when I did, and I think they are, and I think she's still killing it and doing a great job over there, uh, but. It's just, you know, sometimes you just got to make a change. Aviary has been mentioned on this podcast quite a few times. We've had over 100 guests and asked their favorites. And more often than not, it's mentioned and then people say it's the most underrated, one of the most underrated restaurants in Portland because it's been there for a while. It's no longer in that new buzz. You're yeah. experiencing the new buzz with XLB now. You got you got a new buzz with Aviary back then, but it wasn't as buzzworthy a time when everybody was on top of what's the newest thing. Yeah, and it's, it's I don't know if it's a time or the opening. It was just like when we opened Aviary, uh, I think that first night we might have done like 20, 30 covers. You know, and I was like, we, we, I don't know, we were kind of, I think naively, we were thinking of it being like New York and it would be like the minute you open the doors, you kind of get slammed. And we opened our doors and we weren't slammed. Like it was, it was a, 
uh, the first person in who was there 10 minutes before. I'm going to guess. You can guess who that was. Uh, <laughs> hey, Gary. Yeah. Uh, Gary was the first person in. And, <laughs> and we, He's yeah, also we, the first person listening to this podcast. Okay. I will tell you. He's, right. I get comments, so the podcasts are usually 45 minutes long, usually sometimes, not all the time, but I'll get comments at 6.52. When he's, when he's wrapped them up? <laughs> right, when yeah. he's wrapped up the podcast. So, um, And actually, he suggested... He said, you need to have Jasper on the podcast. Oh, so nice. Um, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad Gary made that suggestion. Yeah. Um, so it was either, he, was, he was probably the first one there for uh, that night and probably a regular customer right off the bat. Oh, I yeah. think Aviary is his regular. Yeah, yeah. So we're like re- relatively close to his house. And mm-hmm. I think he likes the fact that we, do something, we were doing something different. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't like it was the opposite. It was just like it was it was a slow kind of burn and a slow build to kind of get up. And it, there was a lot of time in the beginning where we honestly thought we were going to fail. Like while looking at the numbers and looking at the bank statements, we were just like, I don't know how much longer we could actually do this. Um, but then, uh, from as some people know, as a stroke of luck or unluck, we had a fire. Uh, it kind of. Uh, it was a July Fourth back back in the day, and the, the roof was that 2011. I think it was 2011. So we were open five months, give or take, and mm-hmm. then a firework hit the top of the, of the building. As far as we understand, a firework landed on the top of the roof of the building and landed on a tarp or something up there that caught on fire. That was right next to like the air conditioning units, which then exploded. And then all the sprinklers started to go off. And so we're on the first floor. It's a two-floor building. There's a huge floor in the second, the huge hole in the second floor. But, like, the fire didn't actually make it down to our space. It's just, like, all the sp- oh. the smoke and the water damage was, was the big thing. And then so we were open five months. Then we were closed for five months. And along the way, you were thinking, we don't know if we can make, the, make, make this happen. Yeah. So I don't know if you're a spiritual person, but that's almost like, okay, reset. Yeah, it was a reset. Honestly, yeah. it was totally a reset. And like, we, uh, it gave us some time off and it came, it gave us, you know, it went from being, gave us some perspective of like, hey, you know, whatever. Like, were you, were you thinking at that point, okay, that was the answer. We're not going to reopen? Ever? No, I think, uh, we decided to reopen. Like, we decided, like, we didn't have enough time to give it a shot. I think if it was like a year and we were still really struggling, I think maybe we would have talked about it some more. But it was since it was so short, we we're just like, okay, let's let's reopen. And like, luckily, we had very good insurance that really helped us and our staff get through it. We had a very like, um, very helpful community who came out and supported us. Um, Fireside up in over in North Portland, Decom, they did a little benefit for us. I we had never met either of the owners at Fireside. Matt. Yeah, uh, uh, and we. Like, honestly, I'd never even been there before. And they came to us and were like, hey, we want to do a benefit for you guys. And we're like, okay, sure. Uh, so, they like, it was great. And Genoa did something, too, if I recall. Yeah, and Genoa did something, and uh, it was it was fabulous. Um, and then we came back, and, and I think we kind of got our feet. We kind of, like, the second time around, we kind of realized what to expect a little bit more. We, we got a little bit better at it. Um, I also, and I remember writing you guys a little note, because we were actually planning... An event at that oh, yeah, time, yeah, yeah, so we're yeah. gonna stop. And I remember saying, "Hey, I know this sucks, but you're gonna be in the news for a long time. And yeah. when you and your opening happens, that will be a, a newsworthy event that you would not have had had you not had this fire." So I thought it was a 
positive thing. Oh yeah, then like yeah, we got on the news, we got all this press, and it was it was it was good and bad, and and mostly uh, the most helpful thing is just it helped us kind of clarify in our heads what we were doing, and it gave us a time to be like, is this something we really want to do? Is this like this is this is the chance to like kind of reassess? Mm-hmm. We did reassess, and we kind of came back, and it was nice. It was you know it wasn't. Probably not the best way to do it, but it was it was good. In the end, so I have I have my friend uh, Dixie out in Manzanita, whose uh, Vino was destroyed by this tornado. Fifteen seconds in time, much like a fire. Yeah, fifteen seconds in time, and she's not having an easy go with the insurance companies that I know. She's not going to open up there, um, so uh, it's not. I don't know. Time will tell for her. Yeah, uh, she will open up something, and I'm. Wishing her well, but it's not an easy thing to go through. I, I know you can look back now, and it was pro- it seems easier looking back, much like you know, like being, opening- a, being a father of a two-year-old, the first yeah. two years seem easier in retrospect than they are when you're going through it, um, or anything. Yeah, so, I totally agree. And uh, when we were opening Aviary, Kat and I was joked, like, I'm never opening anything ever again. And then, and then I'm doing this. I think it's one of those, one of those things that, as a person, that you kind of like... I don't know if it's like some evolutionary thing that you kind of forget how bad things are just so. Well, not only that, I've started to learn and I'm really trying to apply this to politics today that the worst things that have ever at the time that have ever happened to me, the absolute worst turned out to be the greatest things in my life. Yeah, it's the, the, creating the greatest change. Yeah, so. I don't know how deep you want to get, but like no, you're, no, you're, you're defined by the, the bad things that happen to you. Yeah, but you know, the, when you're young, you don't have. You don't. Ha- you haven't had a lot of things, or you don't have. You can't see the results. The context. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the, hard the to see context, the context isn't there. So That's anyway, a, so this is a totally different podcast. So you got going. Yes, uh, it is. We're actually talking about that. Um, and we're going to call that one <laughs> "Salt and Slaw" podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, when did you, you did some Chinese pop-ups at Aviary? Did those have anything to do with XLB? Oh yeah, like so we did Chinese pop-ups. And it was just like, we were kind of looking for some new interesting things to do. And I was just like, let's do some Chinese food. Um, and it, how much did you know about Chinese food? You know, just honestly, a lot of what I just growing up is just like growing up and uh, going to Chinese restaurants, going to dim sum, just like just being surrounded about, around it as you're growing up. Was like, it a healthy um, Chinese scene in, in Maryland? In Maryland, yes. Where I grew up in Maryland and Rockville specifically is a very, very, very heavy Chinese scene like there's parts of Maryland of Rockville you drive through and it's like all the signs are in Chinese like it's literally and it's not like Chinatown either so it's like there that whole area there's tons of native Chinese people there that uh, my grandparents my dad's side was there and they my grandparents couldn't speak a lick of English but they could go out to the different restaurants and the stores they had a great there's a great Chinese community out there so we we did that and then we went to Chicago when I was around eight or nine and there's a great Chinese community there that's kind of developed. Uh, yeah, I would assume that. I just didn't know yeah. about Maryland. And I and I love to look back. My experience with Asian food in Connecticut was so limited. It was limited to a couple of Chinese restaurants yeah. that I still remember. Um, and I'd love to go back and have those meals again because my memories of it are, first of all, I was going to ask you, the fried noodles that any Chinese restaurant in the East Coast gives you when you sit down with yeah, the duck yeah. sauce. You can't get that here. I, I wish you would do that, that that was like even a menu option in the beginning yeah. while you're waiting for your food. Boom, would you want that? 
those are my memories, uh, spare ribs. And I remember one time going out with uh, my parents and my wife at the time and having, uh, I thought the chili pepper was something else and I downed it and I was literally brought to tears. <laughs> like not just tears, not just physical tears, but emotional tears. Like the, who would want to serve this to me? I'm not big on spice, but that was my first. But I look back and all the Chinese food that I'm able to get around here doesn't seem like that and maybe that was an east coast west coast thing i thought when i went to xlb yours was at one at the same time interesting and delicious and flavorful but had a little bit of familiarity to me so yeah like for the most part all i'm trying to do is just make chinese comfort food like this is stuff you know, there's some tweaks to it. There's a like, I don't know. I can, it's it's hard to. I, I put a, a little fancy on it, I guess. But this is just stuff that my mom makes at home. Like this is stuff that when you get like your whole family together. So for Thanksgiving, for example, every Thanksgiving is like a big family holiday in my family. We'd all get together. We'd hammer a turkey, like just destroy a turkey, and then just eat Chinese food, right? That's what we did the night before. We always did Chinese. Thanksgiving, even Christmas Eve, that was our thing. Oh yeah, but I'm not Asian, so I'm yeah, Chinese. So, so I think I think it's funny that we just like we do the turkey just because that's what you do on Thanksgiving. But we just right. have a Chinese. But this is the kind of stuff that we eat. Like this is like just stir fried noodles and some stir fried veg and greens and stuff like that. Like the shaolin bao, obviously people didn't really make that often. I think that's uh, one of those things that I couldn't get away from. Um, and it's just that's. That's what I want. That's what the familiarity, I don't know if that's what you're referring to, but that's kind of was my goal is to be not, I'm not trying to make really fancy Chinese food. Well, the other part to it too, and I mentioned this, we went, I went with Leanne Buck and was so glad to have that, go to the opening with her. This sounds really stupid, but I can't, I'm sure it doesn't sound stupid to you because you did it. I said, I love that the pictures are on the menu so I can envision what it looks like, which is, you know, kind of the mark of an unsophisticated diner. You need to see this. But I just love, I thought it was great that yeah. there was that touch there that you could look and say, that looks good, as opposed to trying to, so many times in Portland, it's just a list of ingredients and it, you, what comes on the plate, you have... No it, idea what it is. No, yeah. I, well, you just look at it and go, that's not at all what I envisioned because that little thing at the end is the dominant factor here. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, but at any rate, that was great. So... Um, what are your favorite dishes over there? They all are, right? You put them all on the menu. I put them all on the menu. There's, there's obviously, you know, we're a weekend, so there's still different things that I think can be better. There's things we can be more consistent on, like uh, the noodles and the buns. I think are my favorite, and it's just like just me being like, just really carb heavy, I guess. Uh, I just really like the noodles and buns, you know, the the bows and the and the noodles. Uh, but I like, you know, just there's something great about just Chinese greens with a little bit of garlic, ginger, and salt, you know? Like, it's something basic about that and a bowl of rice that I really love, too. And, like... I thought your green beans with the chicken and... The Szechuan peppercorn? So, yes. So, the most interesting thing about that is that's the dish that people either re- like really like or they absolutely hate. Really? Because I think it's, it's, it's just, like, I believe, I don't know if it's true, it's a Szechuan peppercorn. Like if you you either like Szechuan peppercorn, or you just like don't know what it is and it's really weird. Uh, 
So that's the dish that either gets sent back the most or people come up to me and be like, hey, those green beans are great, you know, which so like I've debated t- like changing that dish or taking it off at some point just because there's so many people who are just like, I don't understand. Like this, this taste, is there something wrong with this? And I forget, how is the chicken described on the menu with that? It doesn't say, just say chicken. It just said add chicken, dry roasted chicken. Dry roasted. Yeah. So when it said dry roasted chicken, I expected something dry. It was juicy and wonderful and tender and flavorful. Oh no, we just like it's it's chicken thigh that's just marinated and spiced and then and walk roasted. Right, you but know? I I expected something closer to you know like a pulled, yeah, yeah. So anyway, it was great. Um, so what have you what have you learned so far in the first week that you didn't anticipate that was the biggest surprise? Uh, first thing, how busy it would be. Um, and and do you think the neighborhood? So I wonder about this stuff all the time. Lardo is a popular entity but it didn't make it it didn't it did okay it didn't do well enough in that location so is the neighborhood just want need chinese food and was didn't need sandwiches how does that work i i don't uh, in my opinion i don't know i don't i don't act like i know about how businesses work um i think i think people want portland wants more ethnic food like I, you can see it from the past couple of years. Like you can see, you know, what Bollywood has done with Indian food, uh, what how kind of Japanese has kind of stepped with uh, Nakaduro and uh, a fury, a fury. Mm-hmm. I always say that one wrong, and uh, and even Tusk, what they're kind of doing this this Middle Eastern uh, Sephar, Sephardic food. I think for the longest time, Portland has been very like farm to table, local seasonal, which is great. And I just think now that more people are moving here from from different areas, from as much as we complain about it, from San Francisco and L.A. and Seattle, and they're driving up our our, our cost of living and stuff and blocking up our roads. I think more and more people want uh, ethnic cuisine. And there are, like, I'm not trying to act like I'm the only Chinese restaurant in town. Like, there's other good Chinese restaurants in town, and there's there's other good Chinese restaurants that do, that do good things, but I just don't think there's enough of it. And I think people get tired of driving out to 82nd Street. Whenever well, that's they, been the rub all, this, yeah. all these years, no pun intended, but... You know, everybody would say there's not enough good Chinese. Well, there is some on 82nd, but, but that's But, like, people exactly... don't want to go out there. Like, yeah. I, like, I understand if you live, like, on the west side. Like, I live in North Portland, and right. I sometimes, I'm just like, I don't really want to drive out to 82nd Street. But, like, just living, I live in Kenton, and in Kenton, there's a couple of, like, you know, those those random Thai places and a couple of, of pretty mediocre Chinese places. But other than that, it's hard. Like, I have to drive all the way. I go to Fun Sandy. You know, I have to go all the way to Sandy and like 59th or 60th to get like pho. Like there's not like, this is in the whole region. There's not like an Asian cuisine. You're all the way, but there are people like Court and me who are coming from West Side. Southwest and Beaverton Tiger and Bull Mountain. And and sometimes Manzanita. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're talking about going from where you are to Sandy and 59th, which to me seems like. Like nothing, right? Yeah, I don't understand why. but, But that is the issue with neighborhoods that people yeah. only go so far. And I've always said, really, that's a joke to me because i got to get it now with the traffic the way it is. I have to get on the highway and sit for 45 minutes to come to your restaurant. That's my investment. And to do it, that's a pretty – that's a, yeah. a, a statement on how much I want, want your I think, food. I think it's great. Um, but, you know, right now, because we're so busy, like we're obviously a destination restaurant. People are coming in from different parts of the town to come to come and see it. Because, but I, you know, I 
luckily, as far as I've noticed, we've had regulars. We've had, even though we've only been open a week, we had some people who've come two or three times because they like the food and they like what we're doing and they're neighborhood people. And that's that's really what I want is to become like a neighborhood restaurant. And know? that neighborhood is growing. So that neighborhood's, uh, on yeah, North Williams, for anybody who's listening and we haven't defined that yet, yeah. uh, not, not far from... Uh, Tasting Sons and New Seasons right up the couple of blocks yeah, yeah. on the right. Um, so what did you do for that? It seemed like a long period between oh, Aviary did. and XLB. What were you doing? All I was that doing time? a little bit of everything. I did some consulting. I did. Uh, I taught a little bit at Le Cordon Bleu before they closed. So like, I was trying to like, I was trying to figure it out. Honestly, I was like, should I get back into the restaurant business? Should I? Should I do something else that is like more? So this is. Right when so this we, didn't come about. You didn't leave Aviary and know you were going to open it. Yeah, exactly. Here. This I did not. We there's no point where I left Aviary. I was like, this is exactly what I'm going to do in the next two years. I'm just going to raise enough money to do it. Okay. And I was just like, it was always in the back of my head. It was just like, this idea could work. This is something that'd be interesting. I think Portland kind of wants it. Uh, but I was just like, you know, after Aviary and working so much, being burnt out, I was just like, I don't know if I want to keep on doing this. Like we, this is just the time where we're just having our daughter. And like Kat was doing great at Salt and Straw, and it was just like a lot of things ran through my head. I'm like, could I be a stay-at-home dad? Like, could I do that? Could I just find a job that was more manageable and do that? And it came to a point where it was just like it, it, it came to a point where it's either I try to do this and either makes it or fails, or I take something else and just never and always in the back of my mind be wondering could have had work well you're still young too so you you've had, you're gonna have opportunities for those going forward still you'll have ideas but so how did you run into kurt and how did the idea gel so it was so this idea is always in the back of my head i talked to some people and then i just like wrote an email to kurt because i've met kurt obviously through some different food stuff and it was just like uh i'm sure kurt gets a thousand of these a day i was like hey um, i have this restaurant idea do you want to do you want can i talk to you about it and he's like yeah come on down and i went down there and he was just i was like uh this is the concept i was doing the same very similar to the pop-ups uh, what do you think and he's like sounds great let's do it and i'm like uh are you crazy uh and he's like no like he this space the the old laro space he's like i had something else lined up for it it didn't really work out i had the space let's do a tasting uh let's sit down cook some food and we'll taste it, and if, if it works out fine, then like we have the space. If you're interested in it, we can work out some details. And I just kind of went to him to like kind of just get some information if he thought it would work, if he thought it would be a good concept, if he thought you know just his general impressions. And I left that meeting out, and I called Cat. I specifically walked out of the office and called Cat, and I'm like, "Oh my God, what the hell did I just do? <laughs> <laughs> like we're screwed now." And uh, that's that's what it was. And how long from then, how long ago was that? So this is the end of January. Uh, so that was just like maybe the end of the summer. It oh, was okay. just like that. So and it, took, it took a little bit of time because it took, and then maybe actually maybe early fall. And it was just like he had the space that he was trying to find something for. And then we did a tasting and then we went to the landlords and he kind of explained to what, what the concept was. And then... Um, yeah, and then it just kind of kind of went from there, and then some development, and some there. development there, and so, then some some design elements, and like it's not a big space. We didn't change a lot of it, um, but it was uh, it took you know anyone who's ever experienced construction or 
any of that stuff. It always takes longer and it's more expensive than you think. All right, but at least you weren't doing it from scratch. You at got, least what you yeah, had doing a nice scratch. shell to work with, and you had you were working with Kurt, who'd been in that space. So he yeah, yeah. So um, uh, this went really fast, uh, um, oh, which, yeah. which is always a good thing. I love when it goes fast because mm-hmm. it means it's coming along and interesting. I believe, um, but you had some time, but you also had uh, you had a kid. Did you get time to go out in those two-year periods? Was Cat always too busy? Did you, when you were in aviary, you probably weren't going out too much. And I, oh yeah, yeah. So did you have a time to get out in Portland? Were there any specific places that you that surprised you that you fell in love with, or any places you'd had had wanted to visit and were glad you did? I think um, in Portland, I think Hot Yai is is for me the one of the one of the better places, one of the best places I've been to in the past. You know, in the past couple of months, however long since they've opened. I need to do a return visit because I was there the first week and I just haven't been back. And everybody t- everybody says that. I enjoyed it. I got spiced out on one dish. Yeah, it's spicy. Yeah. <laughs> like, they don't screw around, but it's yeah. great. I, lo- I love high eye. Um, I don't know what else kind of pops up in my head as... as, a, as a, well, that's okay. Uh, you were thinking about what you were going to be doing. It wasn't your focus to go out, but... Uh, I just thought usually we have people in, the, in that seat who maybe can get out Sunday nights once in a while, and that's when a lot of things are closed. Yeah. yeah. So, which is why they're out. So, the irony. But um, uh, we appreciate having you come in. I oh, know. Thanks for having us. Uh, Not me. You, us. Yes. You got yeah. another personality we no. could spend another 15 minutes with? No. Uh, no, I really appreciate you having me here. Uh, we can talk about this stuff. No, it's, it's good. You know what? You know what? One of the great things about this podcast is. I don't get, I can't go out that much. And then, and even if I do come into your place, you're slammed. You know, yeah, it's yeah. Like, so it's been a, a wonderful opportunity for both Court and me to spend, a, sit down and spend an hour and get to know you a little better. We've never had this, we've never had this opportunity. So thanks for biking in today yeah. on a kind of chilly morning. No, yeah. It's been, it's been hard to get any exercise or anything, but uh, nice to bike today. We're here to help. Thank you very much. Right at the Fork is supported by PortlandFoodAndDrink.com. The legendary food dude dishes up Portland food news and comprehensive guides to just about everything that has to do with food in Portland. From coffee and wine shops to bakeries and more. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Intro music by Ariel Varinas. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at foodpodcastpdx or on Facebook at Right at the Fork, or online at rightatthefork.com.